All right. Good morning, everybody. It is so good to see all of you. Do you know that you're a great church? You really are. You are a really great church. My mom, this might be kind of cheesy, but I just thought of this this morning. My mom always used to say to me, uh, she would ask, um, can you remember, do you you know the last time, have I told you lately that I love you? Have I told you lately that I love you? And I was thinking about that this morning. So I love you. If I haven't told you lately, I love you. You're a great church. Uh, Turn to the person next to you and say, "You're, you're a great church. You're a part of the church. You're a great church. Absolutely. You really are. And that totally makes sense, right? Because the church is not a building. The church is people. The church is us, right? You are the church, and wherever you go, you are the church. How about our worship team this morning? Praise God for them. Really good stuff uh, this morning. So good. So good. Uh, I'm just amazed that they are, they're volunteering their time, and we have amazing uh, artists and, and musicians and creative folks uh, in this church. I'm so thankful for them. Well, it's a little over three years into this adventure for me called Parenting. I don't know if any of you can relate to this uh, at one point or another in your lives, or you've witnessed this in other people, but one of the many realizations that I have come to uh, three years into this and two kids later is that for the next 18 years, our house is never going to be clean. Can I get an amen from the congregation? It's never going to be clean. I just sort of accepted this fact that you, the kids go to bed and you pick everything up and then literally 10 hours later, it looks like a tornado went through our living room. Like it just happens that way and there's nothing you can do about it. And usually that's one kid doing the demolition work on that. Now I can handle picking up toys. I can handle picking up books, even Legos. Cause Legos, you just kind of get down on the floor and you just kind of gather them up like this and then you just chuck them into the big bin that we have of Legos. But there's one thing that I despise picking up more more than anything else, puzzles. I love puzzles. I hate picking up puzzles. And this is not one of our children's puzzles, but you'll get the idea here is our children haven't quite figured out the fact that, you know, putting together one puzzle is hard enough, let alone seven puzzles at the same time with their pieces all over. So, you know, Caleb will just kind of wander around and be like, I think I want to do this puzzle. I'm going to make a mess and we can deal with it because it's church, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it together a puzzle over here, but then, oh, I got distracted by something and I think I'm going to go do this puzzle uh, over here and then I'm going to do this puzzle over here and all of a sudden we have seven different puzzles all over the floor and we're, now we need to pick them up. And I've never like said this out loud or anything, but as I'm looking at the absolute disaster that is our living room floor, and all the different puzzles and, oh, I was going to do this Mickey Mouse puzzle. Oh, I think I'll do a Thomas the Train puzzle instead. We have all these pieces. I've never said this out loud, but there's times where I just want to pick up a puzzle piece and go, I know this is a part of that one puzzle, but I have no idea where the rest of that puzzle is. You know, it doesn't matter if you have the, the box, like, oh, it's a landscape, great, but I don't know what that is. I don't, I don't know where the rest of those puzzle pieces are. And so you pick up a piece or two and you say, you know, I... I know this is a part of a bigger picture. I just don't know what bigger picture. I don't know how it fits in. I've seen this puzzle put together, but a puzzle piece by itself without a connection to a larger picture, well, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And I was thinking about that this week as you kind of stare at the puzzle mess I've made up here. Don't our lives look like this sometimes? It's almost like our lives come to us one puzzle piece at a time. But life is more like a story. It comes to us at random. We, we wake up one morning and we don't know what's going to happen next. We don't get the playbook, right? 
We don't always, we don't know the end of the story of our lives. We don't, it comes to us one day, almost one puzzle piece at a time. And, and as life sort of hands you one piece of the puzzle, one day, one month, one year, one puzzle piece at a time, you get that puzzle piece and you say, oh, I don't have any idea how that fits in. Some of you are there in your life right now. There's good pieces and there's bad pieces. The good pieces that we get handed, it's, it's like they're just kind of random and, and we get handed them from the, the day that we're born and we, there's good pieces that, that make sense, that, that fit together. You, you're a part of a loving family. You know that your mom and dad love you. Well, I feel really good about that piece. I must know that God's got a bigger plan. When you grow up in a, hopefully a loving family and yet something happens to you and you, you graduate and you, you find a job and, and maybe you experience the joy of children and certain pieces just seem to fit together. Well, this is all going well. Everything is great, but the problem is life's not like that. Some pieces fit together, but then there's other pieces that are, well, they're darker. And life starts handing you some pieces that don't make sense. I thought my parents loved each other, but, but they got a divorce. And, well, that doesn't fit in my picture. Right? Develop this addiction, or I had a relationship that fell apart, or your children make poor choices, or why is this piece so difficult, and why is this piece so painful, and I lose my job, and I don't know how I'm going to make it to the next paycheck, and these pieces come at you one another, and they don't fit anywhere. And if you're like me, and like most people, <laughs> you probably walked into worship this morning, not, can't see this, but like this, going, I've got all these things in my life that they don't seem to fit. I had these dreams and these ideas for what the ideal life would look like, and now I'm holding them out going, I've got more questions than answers. This is hard. Maybe it's been a hard month for you or a hard year for you, and you had this beautiful picture that was forming, and then life has a way of handing you pieces that don't make sense. If you can identify with that, well, then you're going to identify a lot with our story today from the book of Job. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Job chapter 40, and that's where we're going to be for the majority of our time today. Job chapter 40, or your tablet or your phone or wherever you look up the Bible, you're going to want to follow along today. I guarantee this is not a chapter of the Bible that you read very often. And if you do, wow, more power to you. Job chapter 40. We're continuing a series of messages today on the book of Job called Riding Out the Storms. And we've been learning about this man named Job who, despite being a faithful man after God's own heart, a righteous man, just gets nailed. Just puzzle piece after puzzle piece thrown at him that doesn't make any sense. His, all of his children die. His business, his farm, all his livestock ripped from him. His livelihood ripped from him. He comes down with this terrible disease. He has friends come that try to help him, but just make it worse and say, well, there must have been something that you did to bring this upon you. You must have sinned in some way. And it just leaves him holding these puzzle pieces, asking, why? God, what did I do to bring this on me? And he's been crying out to God. Job is a 42-chapter book. And basically, for the last 40 chapters, Job has been crying out to God, holding each piece of his life story, asking, how does this make sense? And then finally, finally, actually a couple chapters before, and we're picking it up here in chapter 40, God speaks. The entire book of Job, God is basically silent. 
And now God finally speaks. So remember, Job has been pouring out his heart. He's been crying out to God for answers, for mercy, for compassion. And this is how God responds. Look at verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer to him. What? This isn't, this isn't the, the, the God, the, the Jesus that we know that's sitting with the, the children and, you know, petting the sheep and has the Cabbage Pats kids all around him and the nice, soft, warm, cuddly Jesus. This is a completely different kind of God. Job is desperate and he's worn out from his suffering and God says, Job, are you trying to tell me what to do? Like, dare I say God gets a little snarky here. What do you have to say for yourself? Job is sitting there going, geez, God, a little bit of compassion maybe? A little bit of comfort? Now, it's important to know the context of the story before we start jumping to conclusions. Job has also been throwing some darts at God. Job has also been questioning God's sovereignty, which is a fancy biblical term for, is God really in control? Have you ever asked that? God, do you really know what you're doing? Or have you kind of forgotten about me down here? God, are you truly sovereign? Are you all-powerful? Are you truly in control? Do you know what you're doing? And so Job's actually taken some shots to God, and God's response in the rest of the chapter and those few chapters before is essentially, Job, don't forget, I'm God, and you're not. And that's it. Just sit with that for a second. How does that feel? <laughs> How does that sit with you? This is a great example of when you encounter a scripture, when you're reading along in your Bible uh, at home and you encounter a scripture, maybe you're in your, your life group or your Bible study and you read a scripture, you're going along and then it's like, boom, speed bump. Well, that doesn't make sense. It's like when scripture hands you, yeah, like, I got this beautiful picture. God is a loving God and he created the world and then we fell into sin and but Jesus came and made everything okay. But then you get a picture like this where God's just kind of throwing it back at Job. Like, what in the world? That puzzle piece doesn't make sense in the totality of scripture. What do you do with passages like that? I think if we're honest with ourselves, we usually respond in one of a few ways. One of them, we just say, well, that's too hard to understand. Let's skip ahead to John 3.16 because that's easier. I don't want to deal with things like Job, and so we just sort of ignore it. Another thing that we do is that we get upset and we get frustrated and we uh, end up getting bitter or angry at God. Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, I don't, I don't like that kind of God. That God doesn't fit in the box that I have of who I want God to be. And so we actually let it build up walls between us and constant communication with God and understanding, or we can just engage it head on and let God be who he is. It's called humility. It's called perspective. If anything Job does for us, it gives us perspective. We are not God. His ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And this side of heaven, that's the case. We respond in humility and watch how Job responds. Verse 3, it says, Then Job answered the Lord. And let's read Job's response together up on the screen in verse 4. I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. 
There's plenty of ways that Job could have responded. God, you brought all this on me. My life is a disaster. I am writhing in pain. I am suffering of this terrible disease. You've taken everything from me. And now you're saying, I'm God and you're not, and just deal with it? Like, if I'm Job, I might say some things that maybe wouldn't make even the PG-13 cut of Job, right? That's how raw and honest Job is, and he could have done that. But instead, he says, I've spent the last 40 chapters talking. Okay, God. Your turn. Your turn. Job learns to listen. Learning how to listen well rather than complaining or having to win every argument. Learning how to listen well instead of complaining and having to win every argument. It's too bad that the book of Job isn't relevant to our highly opinionated political culture that we're in right now. I'm sure we have nothing to learn from that right now. Learning to listen well and not having to win every single argument. Or, as James 1.19 says, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Imagine if everybody in the world suddenly adopted, everybody should be quick to listen and slow to speak. I don't know if Facebook would exist for the next three weeks, right? But that's where Job lands. And it turns out that God has plenty to say. And he's reminding Job in chapter 38, 39, and 40, essentially, listen to this, Job, I don't owe you anything. Again, sit with that. I I really wanted to preach a different sermon today, (laughs) but this is in the Bible. This is God. This is an aspect of God that we kind of go, I don't want to deal with that. Sit with that for a second. God says to Job, I don't owe you anything. And and maybe if you're like me, it's like, wow, that seems a little harsh. But then I was thinking about it this week. Maybe the reason that grace is so amazing is because we forget we don't deserve it. We don't deserve anything. Anything good, any blessing that we have in our lives is simply given to us out of the sheer grace of God. Sometimes we get into this entitlement mindset, even as Christians, I deserve a better life. I deserve to have puzzle pieces handed to me that make sense, that I can easily fit together. God, I want to get married when I want to get married, and I want that job, and I want that person's life, and I want to have kids in this way, and they're going to be cuter than all the other kids, and I want it to be a certain way. And God says, I really don't owe you anything, but I give it to you anyway because that's the kind of God that I am. Every good thing we have, and so if we're going to ask Why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Shouldn't we also ask, well, in the midst of all that, why is there so much beauty? Why why are we allowed to have joy, every good and perfect thing that we have? Think about it. Joy, laughter, laughing so hard that you cry, a good movie and popcorn, a good night's sleep, home-cooked food, all of these things are blessings from God that we forget. And God reminds Job and us, don't forget who I am. There is a loving and generous God behind all this, but to give you that perspective, sometimes God needs to give us the other perspective that says, Job and everybody, don't forget, I don't owe you anything. And so I want to remind you of that so you'll start seeing all of life as grace rather than something that you deserve. Does that make sense? 
Job is giving us this perspective. Often we find that hope and beauty, and get this, even creativity, is born out of the most difficult circumstances. And there's things we can learn by addressing pain and suffering and just getting it out on the table and talking about it that we could not address otherwise. And nobody knows that better than our special guest for today. One of the people that I met, one of the first people I met when I started at what was then Hope City Branch back in the day, was a guy named Josh Larson. And he was kind of a, uh, a tall, slender, quiet guy. And I, I talked to Josh a little bit and I learned that for a job, he makes video games. And I was like, wow, that's cool. That's odd. You don't hear that every day, right? And so some time went by, and I didn't realize until a few years ago that the impact that Josh was having, our own Josh Larson right here uh, in the Hope Des Moines community, was having on the entire gaming world, and that Josh and a team of friends have created a nationally acclaimed, get this, video game that tackles head-on the exact same issues that we're talking about in the book of Job, of pain and suffering. They've been featured in dozens of uh, national magazines and television shows and now a full-length documentary that's coming out. And it's a game, but it's deeper than that. It's the story of a young boy battling cancer. And the video game takes you through that story, and it's called That Dragon Cancer. So before Josh comes up, we wanted to give you a glimpse at the trailer for this story that addresses the issues of Job head on. Let's take a look. Former Bill plays building blocks with the cows. <laughs> what? Former Bill races the horse and Farmer Bill wins. <laughs> My shoes were untied. <laughs> What does Joel love? Wawa. <laughs> in cups, bathtubs, and the warm wet tongues and the cool fur of Das. Hence, maybe the sweet was of daily affection. Um, do you know how they celebrate off treatment day, like when kids are done with their treatments? I. I guess maybe you don't because you're not in the clinic as much as I am, but on someone's last day, they always bring them a cake and they sing happy off therapy day to you. I'm sorry, guys. It's not good. Basically, he thinks we should move forward with the radiation and it, it kind of freaks me out, but it could be another miracle. There's a story in the Bible where Jesus and his disciples are on a boat. And a furious storm hits the sea and everyone thinks they're gonna die. And where do you think Jesus is? He's asleep in the back of the boat.
Folks, would you give a warm Hope Des Moines welcome to the co-creator of That Dragon Cancer, Josh Larson. Come on up. You didn't know how famous you were, did you? <laughs> well, Josh, we really appreciate uh, you being here today. And, you know, we've been, uh, we've been reading through the book of Job. And when I saw this sermon series coming, uh, you know, as most pastors do, I think, well, I know a guy that made a video game pretty much about the same thing. And so I have to have you share about that. Um, but I can't tell you how spot on I find this game. And we're going to show a couple more clips of it as well. But addressing and wrestling with the problem of pain from a biblical perspective. You'd think that you would maybe get that from your pastor, but in a lot of ways, Josh, you are preaching the gospel with this game. And so what I would love for you to do is just kind of take us back to the beginning of this story, and I hope that your story can be uh, inspiring for those people out there that are wrestling with some of these same questions. How did the idea for this game all come about, and a little bit of your story getting into this, and uh, how did that title come about, That Dragon Cancer? Share a little bit about that. Sure. Um, so it kind of started way back. Uh, I was working on a project at the time. I, I actually get visions when I worship sometimes. And so I was creating this project um, kind of out of those visions and just blogging about it on my website. Yeah. And uh, Ryan Green uh, commented on it. Yeah. We got There's to Ryan know each right other. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> and he kind of shares like the same vision for what video games can do. Um, that it, it doesn't have to just be about action or puzzles, but it can explore the deeper topics that all other forms of art do, whether it's you know film or a good book or a good play or um, you know a good song. Yep. And um, so we started um, getting to know each other, and um, he um, ended up working on a project with me, you know, just freelance kind of thing. Yeah. And he was a game developer as well. And so um, we decided to work on a project together, and I got to know his family, and it turns out they were going on this journey together fighting cancer with their son, Joel. Yeah. And so um, we decided that we would do an art installation about this mm -hmm. journey as a family. So we started working on that, and um, just you know, trying out different ideas and experimenting. Yeah. Um, and inspired by a particular night that Ryan had with Joel in the hospital, he decided, well, what if we made this more of a video game, which sounds really weird. <laughs> um, but the night that he had with Joel, yeah. um, Joel was very sick and dehydrated, and they yeah. were in the hospital together, and he tried to do everything that he could to make Joel better, you know, every, um, every task that he could perform, right. he did in an effort to make Joel better, and nothing worked. And so for six hours, uh, Joel would get more and more sick. He was vomiting. Yeah. Every time you give him juice, which was his favorite thing to drink, he would vomit it back up. Yeah. And um, eventually, he just got to the end of himself. Like, he, every, every single thing he tried, nothing worked. Yeah. He just had this prayer to God, like, I can't do anything else. You know, like, I've tried every single thing I can do. Um, I'm, I'm hopeless, please help me, you know, and he just started thanking God for all the things that they had experienced, all the people who loved them, yeah. and it was at that moment that Joel finally quieted down, was able to take wow. juice, and went to sleep, and so that was a really specific moment where he felt grace in his life, 
Yeah. And as a game developer, he realized, whoa, this is kind of like a game where I'm trying to do all the things that I can right. to fix Joel. Push A and B. Yeah, and do yeah, all yeah the exactly. Things, you know, yeah. do the combos or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And it just didn't work. And, um, and here God, the, the ultimate designer, comes in and kind of gives him something that he can use um, wow. to, to make this situation better. And, right. and, um, and so he realized like, that's kind of like a game that's sort of broken, but then God steps in and, and fixes it. And wow. so he thought, what if we kind of made this a video game? And he and his wife had actually, they had already made a short film about it. They yeah. made a children's book. You know, they're just very creative people. Right. And so, um, so we decided that we would take this more in the direction of a video game. Yeah. So we made a demo that's kind of like a condensed version of that night. You know, it's obviously not six hours long. You play it for <laughs> maybe 10 minutes or so. Right. Um, but it's very emotionally intense. Yeah. And so we, we showed it at a game developers conference and people were very interested in it and it yeah. was, it was uh, very surprising how much it impacted people in a short amount of time. So it yeah. just kind of went from there. So here's, this is Ryan and his son, Joel, and he was sick from age one, I mean, from right away yeah. in his life. And so here's, here's his mom and dad, here's Ryan and Amy, and, and we, we talked about this at our Saturday night service last night too, and we had several people come up and say, I've been affected by cancer. It just hit me that, man, I think if we went around the room today, there's not a person in here that probably hasn't been touched by cancer in some way, whether a family member or a friend or them personally. And I mean, here's Ryan and Amy holding these puzzle pieces like we talked about today. Like, this doesn't fit. Like, two-year-old boys aren't supposed to go through this, and I'm not supposed to have to hold my boy and, and struggle through this. And yet instead of getting bitter or letting it turn away from God, them and you actually engage this problem of pain. And that's what I see the parallels to Job so well is that we just address it head on. And so you and Ryan have been able and your team have been able to go to countless uh, gaming shows and, and, uh, and all sorts of things all over the country and show this. And right in the middle of... <laughs> violence and guns and drugs and you name it in all these video games that are in this gaming culture <laughs> you guys are with this game about a boy with cancer and it just sort of makes people stop and so the next clip we're going to show is is josh and his team at this huge uh gaming convention seattle is that right yeah, in, in seattle and just watch how in the midst of the chaos people that have no interest in God, suddenly get the brakes put on and their hearts are opened up because they're all struggling with the same thing. So let's take a look at that dragon cancer on tour. A lot of the effect of it is through the audio, so that's where we suggest headphones. Gotcha. We're trying to find just the right formula to like to to save to save our life, you know, to save my son's life, you know, and that's a mechanic. And so, like, when you start seeing the world through the lens of what are mechanics and what happens when mechanics fail, like, I think you see the potential of what games can be. Sunset looks pretty from here, better than the muted colors of this hospital. He won't stop crying. Don't blame him. 
and I am holding him firmly, trying not to slip. Because if you hold tight enough, nothing will take him. Right? He sleeps. Thank you. first things people ask me is, well, isn't it kind of strange showing a, a game about terminal cancer to this environment? I'm thinking, why is that so strange? Why are we all walking around anonymous and not talking about the things that shape the way we are? One of the first things you think about when you're in the hospital with your kid is, uh, I'm surrounded by 500 families going through the same thing, but all the doors are closed. tragic to me. You're not alone. I'm not alone. I think we've been told a lie that it's safer to escape. And um, I see people saying, I, I use games as a form of escape. I mean, what are we escaping from? Are we going to spend our whole life escaping from the thing that makes us us? You know, the things that happen to us define us. They make us who we are. They're complex. They're nuanced. They're, they're tragic and they're beautiful. Josh, I love what Ryan said about that line about them being in the hospital. They're there in the cancer unit, surrounded by 500 other families that are all going through the same thing, and yet all the doors are shut. And of course, I'm putting on my pastor hat watching that in that moment going. On any given Sunday, we're not all in different rooms, but there's 500 people out here in all of our services brothers and sisters in Christ sitting next to each other, and yet some of us are still lonely. And it just hit me that if there's one place where we shouldn't have to be alone, it's in the church. If there's one place where we should be known, it's here and not have to feel like we're all going through the same thing. And so I just I felt like I want to challenge us this morning as a congregation, like, who knows you? If, if there's any place where we should be known, it should be here in the church. And so that's why we have life groups. That's my challenge to you is like, who really knows you enough that you can be real with? And, and as Ryan said, why do we hide these things? Why don't, why don't we talk about them? These are the things that, that make us human. Are you allowing yourself to be known? Who knows you? And so being a Christian doesn't mean, like Ryan said, all these gamers are running to video games usually to escape the pain. And what I love about what you guys have done is you've created a game. Instead of escaping the pain, you're running towards the pain and you're embracing it. And so, I mean, you guys saw in the video, that's just a glimpse of the impact that this had on people that are not anywhere probably close to God. Josh, share a little bit more for your perspective how you've seen God work through this game in a gaming culture that is not necessarily Christ-centered. Uh, how have you seen God at work in that? Yeah, um, it is, it's amazing how much it disarms people um, you know, like we're at this expo and it's very flashy. It's almost kind of like Vegas in the case where everything, everybody wants their thing to jump out at you, right? right. And so it's loud. There's, um, you know, there's another clip just right after this part in the documentary where there's like gunfire, you know, you're just walking around in the middle and there's, 
It's, um, it's just very flashy and loud and um, bright lights everywhere. And so in the middle of that, we have this kind of space that's quiet and, um, and contemplative and there's poetry and it's almost, you know, it's very different from that. Um, and people come in and sit down and five to 10 minutes later, um, we've kind of broken down all their walls. Yeah. And I think part of that is because um, of the power of testimony. Mm. Um, so when you play the game, you're kind of walking alongside the Green family and they, it's a way for us to deliver their testimony in, a, in an interactive way right. um, that includes you know, sound and, and music and spoken word poetry and, um, and visuals. And, and it's, um, it just takes you to this completely different place. Yeah. And once they realize that um, it's a testimony of what the Green family's gone through, right. they're able to think about like, that they have their own brokenness and their own pain. And, um, and so it's just a way for us to connect with people. And, um, and it's amazing, like I've seen people get up and they have this look on their face and it's like, um, there's a connection that you can get sometimes that's even yeah. more powerful than just a hug, is that look on somebody's face. And we've had a lot of conversations talking about people's own personal struggles and pain. Yeah. And, um, and they realize that uh, they're not alone and that, yeah. um, and that uh, we also get a chance to share kind of how we can have hope in the midst of that pain right. and where that hope comes from. Right. So. And in that sense, Josh and I were having lunch, uh, I think a couple years ago now, when this game was just getting started. It hadn't been launched yet. And Josh was telling me about what he was doing. And I'm like, you're, you're creatively, <laughs> like, covertly inserting the gospel into these people's lives. And, and we preach almost every single week here, like, go be the church, go be the church, take your light into the dark places of this world. And, and Josh said something to the effect of, I, I don't really feel like I'm a gamer or a video game creator. I kind of feel like I'm a, like a missionary. Like, can you be a video game missionary? And I said, absolutely, you can be a video game missionary. That's your new title. That's what you are. And I just got to thinking about it, like, we need more people like Josh that are willing to say, I'm going to take whatever job I have, as secular as it may seem, or whatever I do from nine to five, or at the gym, or the ball field, or with my family, and say, how can I bring the light of Jesus Christ into those places that may be a little darker? And I love how you're creatively opened, opening doors and opening people's hearts to that. And I think, I think what I love most about the game is that there isn't all the answers. There's not necessarily a resolution, but you still point to the hope of Jesus and the, the hope of the resurrection, that there's a lot of trite things that we say when people are in pain, but I love how you point to Jesus without having to have all the answers and have it all figured out, and that's the book of Job, and I think that's how it, how it ties in um, so well, and, and uh, I was sitting up here last night at our Saturday service with Josh, and I didn't think about this, but, um, you know, uh, Joel was four, five when he passed away here just a few years ago. Um, I have a three-year-old son, and Josh has a two-year-old two son. So this is very real, um, and yet I think the fact that we're talking about it is so good. The fact that we're doing a series on the book of Job, the fact that we're talking about that cancer is a reality that's touched us all. And um, I, Josh, I just want to thank you for sharing your story. I want to thank you for um, 
for, to you and Ryan for opening these parts of our lives up a little bit. And I know you learned, you learned something that you shared with me about kind of r walking alongside Ryan and how he wanted to view this pain and suffering in his life. Do you want to just share just what some of those few pieces are that you've learned about wrestling through suffering? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think one of the biggest things is um, to just be together, to, to be with that person who's broken or mourning. Yeah. Um, you know, like you mentioned before, um, Job's friends that came, like they said a lot of dumb things. But one thing that they did right at the end of Job 2 yeah. is they sat with him for seven days and seven nights and nobody said a word. They were just together. Um, and I think that that is... Uh, the, one of the best first steps that you can take yeah. is to just be with that person and sit next to them. Yeah. And you don't even have to say anything. Yeah. Um, you can just feel for them. And um, that was one of the biggest things. And, and Ryan was saying that, um, like a, a lot of people would say kind of trite things. Right. And um, to him, it felt like they were trying to take his pain away when they said those mm. things. Um, and it's a natural inclination to try and like help in some way to, yeah. to fix it somehow. Right. Um, but to him, the pain that he felt was evidence of how much he loved Joel. And so to wow. take that away, it kind of hurt a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so really what he wanted was for just people to get to know who Joel was and to love him. Yeah. And that's kind of what we were trying to do with the design of this game is that you as the player just walk alongside them and be in those moments. Right. There's not a lot of plot even. It's just kind of those in-between moments where maybe you're just sitting with Joel as Ryan or you're sitting with them like um, the, the toy that you had. You're sitting with them in the hospital room and playing with Joel and just kind of together with the family. Right. And so that's sort of the direction that we ended up going is being that person who can just be there with them, yeah. even if you can't fix the situation. Yeah. Well, we're going to show the final clip of the game. If you go on YouTube, you can see people playing the game, and some have comments and some don't. But I, we're just going to show this final scene. But before we do, before we let you go, Josh, on behalf of all of us, um, maybe before today people didn't know this about you, and now they do, <laughs> I just want to thank you on behalf of our church for being the church, for thinking creative and thinking outside the box and having the courage. I mean, you may not know this, but Josh risked a lot of things to do this uh, in his career uh, and financially to do this and to be a missionary in the video gaming world. And I just want to thank you for the courage to shine your light in the darkness and to be the church. So thank you. So we're going we're gonna to show this last clip from uh, the game as um, since, since they released the game, uh, the young boy, Joel, passed away. And, and um, this final scene is him going to paradise on his little boat. And I want you to pay special attention to the narration here and just the beautiful words that are spoken as they kind of let go and give Joel back to God. Let's take a look. So here we are, and the air is emptier without his laugh, and yet our hearts are still full. 
but with a different drink. And this ride we've been on for so long is silent. And so also the Lord. And so we sit here in this new silence and long for the music to start again and for the disc to spin again, even if it means going round and round for many more years. For at least we would be moving and Joel would be laughing here on earth and not only in heaven. But in this space, since his silence is only because he is drawing his breath. And now we know love and longing, empty and full, all in one moment. And I am grateful that we loved him well. And that we miss him well. And I hope that in the Lord's next breath, he will whisper his love song to you, his beloved. And that you will know him differently and more deeply. But now, we grieve in silence, yet not without his presence. So we grieve in silence, but not without his presence. It's so clearly the message of Job. We grieve in silence, but not without his presence. And in the end, if you're wrestling with Job, if you're wrestling with especially chapter 40 here, there's two ways of viewing it. Number one is that God is a distant, cold-hearted God that is absent and disinterested in Job's pain. Or because of the rhythm and the repetition of the poetry of every time God mentions his sovereignty over and over and over again, it's like God is grabbing you by the shoulders this morning and looking at you in the eyes and no matter what you're going through saying, keep the faith, keep the faith. Don't you give up, don't you give up, keep the faith. Do you remember who I am? I'm the God who created the universe. I'm the God who created you. I'm the God that not only created life, I'm the God that can bring the dead back to life and I am holding on to you this morning. I am holding you together. God isn't asking us to just move on and accept the pain in our lives. He's asking us to surrender to his love. And if maybe there's a glimpse of the love that you as a parent feel for your child or as a grandparent feel for your grandchildren, then maybe a glimpse of the love that Ryan has for Joel as he's sitting with him hour after hour after hour after hour in those hospital rooms. Maybe that is just a little glimpse of the love that God has for you. Life is full of questions. Life is full of puzzle pieces that don't make sense. And yet there are two questions that we have unquestionable answers for. When you look to the cross, does God understand our pain? And are you loved beyond your wildest imagination? Yes and yes. Absolutely. May you know that love this morning. May you receive that all the way in. I would challenge you to check out that dragon cancer. And here's the best part. Cancer doesn't win. The dragon has been slayed. Cancer doesn't win because Jesus wins. Jesus takes cancer any day. Jesus has defeated our sin and our death. 
And so we can have hope even in the midst of it. We can not have resolution and still have this hope and this trust in the resurrection. And if you get nothing else out of this entire series on Job, may you learn to love and trust God more fully and discover the grace that is only found that those of you that have had pain and suffering and experienced loss and death in your life, you know that grace comes and you experience God in a far deeper way than you ever have before. And that our faith changes, our beliefs deepen, our faith grows roots down deep in God's love. And it's not trite, like, I'm going to be hopeful, keep the faith. It's like, keep the faith. There is nothing that is ever going to separate you from his love. Look to the cross, fix your eyes on Jesus this morning. No matter what you're going through, keep the faith. Until that day when we'll get to see Joel again. And we'll get to say, I played a video game with you in it. He's like, yeah. And we'll get to see everyone we've ever lost and all that is broken will be restored. All that is sad will be undone. And we will rejoice in that day. And until that day, we keep the hope and we trust that Christ is enough. So I want to invite you to stand and we're going to sing this final song together through every trial, through every storm, the lyrics say, I will sing, Christ is enough. Let's worship together.